When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. And did you miss me? I don't think I gave you a chance to miss me. We just did that live episode with uh, writer Jerry Duggan at no Stanley's way. LA Comic Con. And uh, that was pretty awesome. Uh, we've got filmmaker Joe Lynch on today. Not as good as Jerry Duggan. <laughs> Jerry Duggan's amazing. He so. is the best. I worked with him years ago. He's, he's amazing. Shit. I mean, and he's the stuff. Sorry. If you want to know what we're talking about, you can totally go back on the feed and uh, listen to the live Geekscape that we did at Stanley's LA Comic Con uh, where we talked to Jerry about, obviously, Gardens of the Galaxy, Deadpool, and uh, everything else he's been doing, and the origins of him as a comic book writer. It was a lot of fun to do another live episode. I want to do tons of live episodes in the future. And, um, yeah, uh, we've been doing a lot of great shows. Greg McLean, the uh, filmmaker behind Wolf Creek, did the show uh, right before him. So there's tons of stuff coming out on the Geekscape podcast. And now it's going all downhill. And we're going to go so downhill with director Joe Lynch. Scraping uh, the bottom of the cinematic barrel. I don't think so, Joe. Like, uh, I wanted to have you on the show for a while, and I, and I love you. Uh, I think, I, I, no, I just think that um, the rock and roll approach to filmmaking is something that uh, as indie film, like as the oasis of indie film kind of dries up and... Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you you find like less and less of the rock and roll vo- voices and more and more uh, in the indie mindset of how do I, A, cater to Premiere Festival or mm-hmm. B, cater to getting a Star Wars movie or being fired from a Star Wars movie within two films. You know what I mean? So, not <laughs> to say that I'm not working on that <laughs> I, currently. Well, my dream used to be. My dream is now to get fired off yeah, of a Star Wars yeah, movie. My, my, I remember when uh, the last four boys uh, got fired off of Han Solo or just Solo. Um, yeah, Chris and Phil. Yeah, Chris and Phil, I was like, I was like, oh, my dream used to be do a Star Wars movie. Now my dream is get fired from a Star Wars movie because. But then confirmed weeks later when Colin was dropped out, you know. Right. So, so it's like it's becoming a trend. I think you haven't made it until no. Kathleen Kennedy has given you the boot. Because I mean, after a while, it was like, oh, you're only one or two movies away from. I mean, as a, before you even make a movie, you're, you're still one or two movies. Away you never from know, a Star Wars. <laughs> especially now, like the way that the the climate is, and you you look at certain filmographies and go like, wow, that filmmaker went from this you know clown little indie movie you know like like clown like john watts yeah. uh-huh. which i wouldn't call cute and cuddly no but um, in any respect but like he had that and he had cop, cop car, car yeah which you look at cop car and you go there's a guy that's hungry and wants to make a movie that for the masses and uh-huh. but he picked a, a you know a, a subgenre which is like the, the neo-noir <laughs> and he worked with you know kids which is big no-no in most cases like you don't i've worked with kids before and they're great but usually there's that adage of like don't work with kids and dogs or Rip Torn. And, right. uh, and thankfully, I have not worked with uh, all three of those simultaneously. But when you look at the cop car, especially now, like I remember seeing cop car in the theater and this was after it was announced that he was doing it. So there's that, that, that feeling like, like, does he have the yeah, chops? We'll and you watch got. that movie and you go between Kevin Bacon's performance and those kids. Yeah, I think he would be just fine as Spider- in doing Spider-Man. And then you see it and you're like, holy shit. Or... You know, James Gunn when he's doing Super. You know, right. now, James had a storied career before Super. Yeah. But you go from Super, which was like a $1 million scrappy little indie superhero movie, that like more of like a Death Wish movie than a superhero movie. Yeah, it's really nihilistic. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy movie. But then to see him kind of take the same techniques and the same voice and transfer that in a much larger milieu 
a lot of times it works, you mm-hmm. know, and then sometimes it doesn't work out. You yeah, know? I, I just uh, went around telling people just like go back to like brain dead slash dead alive and just look when they're like looking for the Sumerian rat monkey. Even before that, you know look, at, I mean? look like, at bad taste. You can and look see at all that the stuff and it's like you can just see Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. If you look at if you look at Peter Jackson's first movie, Bad Taste, yeah. which was uh, this labor of love. It took seven years to make. But it got him to can. It, <laughs> which that's is crazy. It's like, but that's that's the like I was just talking to someone earlier about this today. It's like what other job, which I don't even consider it a job. It's a, to me, it's it's like it's a passion. So I get lucky every every once in a while when someone actually pays me. Yeah. But what other job out there? You make decisions on the day, and you can prep for six months, six weeks, six hours, or whatever. But the decisions that you make on the day in that moment are then going to be seen around the world forever or mm-hmm. at least as long as whatever format is putting it on at that time. Yeah. Not a lot of jobs allow you to do that. So it, it's it's amazing to see how, you know, filmmakers like myself and, you know, and there's tons of indie directors who have started, you know, very small and just kind of worked their way up or there's filmmakers who do one film and then they just kind of get, get given the golden ticket and right. then now you're doing like a Jurassic World Hope or whatever. You can step up. Yeah. It, it, it's 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 always a, a dream but at the same time like Plumbers don't get that kind of thing, you know. Right. Like, like food services. Like, maybe you'll make the, you know, the meal that someone will remember, like in Ratatouille, where it's like it brought me back to my childhood. Sure, and movies can do that for sure. And movies, I mean, yeah. a lot of times filmmakers are are counting on that kind of nostalgia. Like, like <laughs> I want you to feel like you did when you were twelve and you're watching The Road Warrior for the first time. Well, let me introduce you real quick, uh, Geekscape, because we came right out of the gate, which is awesome. But Sorry, I couldn't help no, myself. No, no, this is what Geekscape is about. But uh, real quick, if you don't know who Joe is, I don't know how you've listened to 11 years of Geekscape for some of you who've listened to 11 years of Geekscape but uh he uh, he started right out of the gate with one of the uh, Wrong Turn sequels. Yep. But then he started doing stuff that was really genre. He worked with a former Geekscape guest, Eddie Shankar, on that Secret Venom like oh, <laughs> short man. film. I just... still I I adore that that experience and it. that short. Yeah, that was fun. Um, and then of course, like he's got this uh, that show Holliston with Adam Green, who we interviewed a few times for Hatchet. Um and yeah, uh, Everly, and then he's got this new movie um, called Mayhem, which I watched. It's got Stephen Yoon from The Walking Dead. Maybe I mean it depends on how caught up you are on Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but for, for um, a good a good chunk, no good pun chunk intended, of the uh, like of The Walking Dead. Like he had, he had a good run, <laughs> and the movie comes out November tenth. Yes, uh, and is again like crazy nihilistic rock and roll uh, film. But we will talk about it. What I want to say is is that. We just were talking about how this industry is unique, and obviously we've we recently had like this story of like people getting a little beyond their own grasp with other individuals, you know, with like the Weinstein stuff and all this stuff going on. Does it lend itself this particular um, like industry to like some celebration of ego in that way? Because when you have an industry where you're making things that, like you said, will be remembered for years and is that way forever, are does, does it really attract the type of person who wants to just put a stamp of like permanency out there? And like, what kind of person does that attract? It's just something I've been folding in my no, own. No, it's it's something that like with with all of this, you know, the the Me Too movement coming out, and the you know the team rose, and and people finally speaking up about it. You know, this is something that has kind of been in the world of the industry, so to speak. Mm -hmm. If you want to look back as far as when they first opened the gates at like Paramount or when they were first making the MGM studios back in the day, like the the promise of stardom and the promise of being a celebrity or the promise of, of, you know, entertaining the world and being a showman is a very magnetic thing. You know, it's something that I think, Everyone <clears throat> in one form or another, in one point in their lives, especially when we're so surrounded by the, the arts and you're you're inundated with TV and you're you know you're blasted with movies, especially when we were growing up, and music and and, and the arts in general. And when there's artists out there that make it seem so effortless, sure. it makes everyone go like, "I could do that." Yeah. And there is there's uh, there's a magnetism to it, and that's why there's you know for the longest time it was always like, "Who the fresh faces coming off the bus in Hollywood?" You yeah. Know? And that, that kind of adage has been around, that stereotype has been around forever. And of course, in any industry, not just the in- entertainment one, but you know, in, in, any, in any industry that allows people to take advantage of that, mm-hmm. you know, to take advantage of the promise, you know, the brass ring, the carrot dangling in front of you, 
there's going to be people out there that are going to, you know, exploit that and they're going to, you know, be predators and they're going to take advantage of situations where it's like, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I mean, that's in every, any business, but when it comes to the movies and you're dealing with, you know, egos and you're dealing with, you know, beautiful people on or both like, sides. Or like the, the celebration of like a singular vision, you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's a singular vision. This, per- like, and this person, either they're not tour or they're, a, or they're a beautiful face and like, you know. It, but the media yeah. and the public has we all, all buy into it. We've not only bought into it, but we've championed it, mm-hmm. you know. The, I mean, I grew up in the era in the 70s and 80s where the auteur theory was really the thing, you mm-hmm. know, like I didn't think of when I, when I was growing up, I was that geek that would, I knew who John Landis was when I was like five or six and I knew who Spielberg was and I knew who Toby Hooper and Francis Ford Coppola, anybody with a beard, a hat and, and tinted sunglasses. <laughs> I kind of knew who you were, <laughs> right. but I became fans of theirs through their body of work and, and they, they were my rock stars, you mm-hmm. know, like I was into music, but not like I was into movies. So you know, those guys were my Sex Pistols. They were my, you know, my Van Halen. They were my the bands that I would follow around. Maybe not to, from concert to concert, but it was from You're film to film. You're absolutely there opening day. They were celebrities. Yeah. They were our rock stars. And what do we do with rock stars? We champion them. We we put them up on a, you know, on a higher pillar. We sexualize them. We make them into, you know, um, celebrities, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the the culture, the way that it was back then as it is now... I think there was the, uh, I guess you can say it was just a fallacy a little bit, you know, especially now that I've been in the quote unquote, the business for, you know, at least making features for 10 years. But even before that, you know, you see it in every department. You see, you see how people can take advantage of the, the situation at hand to allow someone to kind of either better their career or inflate their ego by taking advantage of another person. And that's just commonplace. It's just now, I think, between... You know, social media being so prevalent and giving people voices who might not have had voices before. And obviously the set of circumstances that's recently arisen in the last, I mean, since Cosby really right. seemed to be like the genesis of this. To, to watch, you know, things that were always kind of like unspoken, you know, there were, there were just things that people just, you know, either brushed aside or said like, well, that's not my business. So they didn't know. have an outlet. Now everybody has a voice. Now right. everyone has an outlet, you know, and for better or for worse, because now you have people who are going to take advantage of that as well. And it, it's, it's both exciting and gratifying to see it finally happen, relieving, but it's also a little terrifying because it can be, that, that can be abused too. So it, it's a, it's a weird time, I think right, right now to be like in, in any form of the spotlight, because there's always going to be someone who, just doesn't like you, whether you try to be the nicest person in the world like myself, where I'm just like, hey, everybody like me, you know, <laughs> and, you know, or at least just like, please don't hate me. Right. And there's always going to be someone who's like, jerk. And we want to. And you get that. It happens to everybody. Right. It happens to everybody. Like, not everyone, like, that was something that <clears throat> I had this, like, Willie Loman complex back in the day when I first started making movies, or even before that when I was making shorts and music videos or whatever. And there was this constant need to be liked. And, and it was a constant need to please someone, whereas maybe I wasn't really pleasing myself as an artiste, so yeah, to speak. I mean, what's the most straight? I mean, you, you ever do that thing where you just make something that you're like, oh, that's flat because I'm not in it. You know, there's nothing in it. There's, there was no investment in it. Like, yeah, like you I just, mean, you're just like, oh, it's a gig. Dead, dead it, on arrival. It's, yeah. one on, it's one for them. Like, like luckily with... <clears throat> with all of my features, maybe not Nights of Bad Aston just because it got so mired in production woes and investor bull crap. And, right. and in the end, like, I, I look at it, I look back at it and I have nightmares and panic attacks. Sure. But once that movie came out, it slowly, st- and, and, you know, we kind of got past the controversy that, that was kind of developed even more on social media and from you know the blogosphere and the you know, I just remember the, the movie took forever to come out like for a movie that seemed like it was we catered. shot that in 2010 yeah. and it didn't come out until like 2013 2014 for a know? movie that was like catered to Geekscape so oh god like, oh my god like there's Dude. a Ren fair or like they're LARPing and it's got Summer Glau in it and it's got it's, Peter it's, Dinklage in it it's, it's like, Comic-Con Catman oh and I'm sitting here watching this movie <laughs> and I remember like year after year being like when when's this damn movie coming out when when and then when it came out it, it just felt like oh that oh, it came, that was it it, it came out like, it was kind of like you, you're holding a fart for so long and then in the end sometimes sometimes it comes out with a big brah and sometimes it's brah. sometimes it goes, reverses direction and comes out your face 
which is like even very worse. violent. Well, Incredibly it definitely violent. splattered in my face for at least a while. But <laughs> I mean, what's was funny, it the edit? On, I mean, obviously, like, oh, like, like maybe you had an unmoving shark there. We like, could, you know how you no, hear, no, you hear like Spielberg sadly like, the, has nightmares still about the shark. Sadly, the shark was uh, was not the uh, the creature or anything. There, sure. We had some creature problems as well, but the shark was more the you uh, get that with creatures. The, the, yeah. the producer and the investors, not not all the producers. Uh, one producer slash investor in particular, the guy who ran the company, was uh, a shark of another sort. Well, did he? Did he not know what the hell he was giving his money to? No, <laughs> like, I don't think he did. Like, I honestly don't think he did. Because, because we delivered what we promised, and he went, no. Nah, which is like a celebration movie. Yeah, like, like, exactly. I know, like, I know but you, it was and one, I see what you do, and it's a celebration of this stuff. I went in going, I want to make the Goonies for grown-ups, and in the end, they wanted to make something more akin to, like, I guess role models meet Scott Pilgrim in a way, you know, just because that was, like, the trend at the time, and, and the guy thought, said, I remember him saying specifically, well, I've seen Shaun of the Dead twice, so I know what it's. I know what it takes to make a successful co- horror comedy, and I'm like, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> he dude. just threw you against it. Like, good luck. But it was other things too. Yeah. It was just like it was investor shenanigans. Ended up being like a Ponzi scheme. So it was. It was. It was me kind of caught in the middle of this insane storm. And honestly, I thought like, well, that's it. Like, I. I mean, I was in a bad, bad place. Sure. Like, like during the mo- making of the movie, and then when the you know when we were kind of yanked out of the editing, and then kind of waiting. To see what the hell came out. What was going to happen. Frankenstein monster. I, one of the worst experiences of my life was um, I had not heard from them in six months. <gasps> they told me that, uh, oh, no, we got, we're got we bringing in a new producer. You're getting like, ulcers by he that does, point. Like, he does the Saw movies, and I'm like, uh-oh. And you think uh, your career's over. Oh, absolutely. Like, you're like, I was, I thought six I was months done. is a long time I to thought, go silent. I, was, I thought I was done. They brought in a new editor, and then I didn't hear anything forever. But oh, well, we're, we're going to bring you in. I swear, we're going to bring you in, and, and, and we'll, we'll collaborate. I think, you know, there's posters and a release date. No, I, I got a call, <laughs> and it was, um, I, I actually went to Disneyland for the day with my family just to kind of get my mind off sure. of things. And, of course, I get a call while I'm at Disney. And the guy's like, we want you to come in tomorrow. We're going to show it. Really excited to show you. We have a brand new cut. It's fresh. You're going to be, you're going to love it. The illusion that they're even ca- still catering to you. Yeah. Well, like yeah. that's crazy. So, uh, so I, it kind of threw me off the rest of the day. Cause I'm, I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, now I'm going to see my movie. What's going to happen? <laughs> you're on the cups. Like you're spinning yeah. the cups. Like everything just starts going crazy. The Bugs like, Life game, the, like, the Bugs Life ride was ruined. Like, it's like a me. wide angle lens. You're seeing the world all warped. That's what it felt like. It felt like me spinning in the teacups going, what's going <laughs> to yeah. happen? So, uh, I end up going into this, uh, the screening room. And originally when we first finished, well, when we last, when we last saw the cut, uh, this was in like March of 2011, I think it was. Mm-hmm. The cut was at uh, 94 minutes, right. and I was actually I was pretty happy You're with like, it. I mean, we 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 compromised left and right, but we actually found a place where it was like this could work. Now cool. the effects were completely unfinished. Sure. It was all temp, but I was like, okay. And then they said, well, we don't have any money anymore. I'm like, okay, call me. So six months goes by, and I, they finally say that they have this cut. I go into the screen Who room. paid for that if they don't have any money? Who knows? Exactly. It's I like, have no It's clue. like, don't be telling me you don't have any money, and then all of a sudden somebody else is getting paid to edit the movie. So I go in, and it's me and about 20 of the investors. Now, usually you don't put the creative and the investors in the same room. Sure. It's just for one reason or another, it's just, it, it makes the most sense. It's not the best. You won't get the best chemical response from, from anybody. But uh, So I go in, and they sit me down, and... I sat and I watched the new cut of Knights of Bad Astem, which was as far removed from what I was going for as you could possibly get. There's a, there's a weird voiceover now. There's like these title crawls in the beginning. There's this Animal House ending where they would just go like, and this person did this, and then that person ended up there, and then these two people got together. It's like no, nowhere near, not even the tone. And you wrote the original script? Uh, no, I, I helped rewrite the original script that Matt Wall and uh, Kevin Dreyfus sure. did, and they were kind of still in the company, so they were kind of stuck. I'm just there. wondering if they had any input on those title. Uh, uh, as far as I know, it was all written by the the main guy, like he was the he producer. Just, wrote that. Yeah, yep. Oh, so uh, seems like a talented guy. So I, I'm watching the movie, <laughs> and then I'm realizing, like, wow, we're really close to the ending. And I look, and the the cut was currently 74 minutes. Okay, so they took about 22 minutes of of movie out of my film, and those are scenes that like. You need yeah, to tell glue, the story. They're glue scenes. It's glue, or math it's glue scenes, to make the yeah. make the magic kind of work. Right. And they completely scrapped the ending. Uh, I found out later because they just didn't want to pay for the effects. Um, and I was like, okay, so it's a good start. 
all right, you know, yeah. being Mr. Positive and Mr. Optimistic. I'm like, Shit. great, let me know when, when we can go in. Yeah, well, we'll give you a call. So after badgering them for months, they finally let me in, and uh, I go in for uh, one day. And it's like one day to do all my notes, and I had like five, six pages of notes. But there were notes where it's like, look, I'm willing to work with you guys, but there are things that you just have to do. One thing, including finishing those effects. When are those going to get done? Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. So I go in and... uh, the producer who was supposed to be there was gone. And you took the high road. Like, you didn't be like, I'm going to get on Twitter. And just, I, yeah, didn't, I, didn't, yeah. I waited on all that sure. shit because there's, like, there's no point in being negative until you really have to be. So right. I uh, I go in, and uh, it's not even the editor. It's the assistant editor who's there. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. Uh, so we start going in? through it. And about by the time we get to lunch, and I've only gotten through, like, my first page of notes, and he can't even find footage that we were looking for that I knew that we shot and we had in the original cut and we couldn't find. And then um, and midway through the day, I just kind of realized something. And I go, dude, listen, just let me know. Are you going to save any of these changes? And he looked at me and just kind of shook his head like, no. Oh, like, shit. They were, so they, were just, they were just humoring me. So <clears throat> after that, I, I just kind of gave up on the movie altogether because I'm like, it's not my movie at all. And I don't know what to do with it. And then I found out that they were selling it. And I'm like, wait, what? But I had all of these uh distributors start calling me and i had a bunch of people who i guess were like um journalists who heard about it who were going to go to the yeah, screening and they're like is this your cut we're so excited and i'm like the fuck do i say like don't i, know your cut is I don't know point. what it is yeah. so i very slyly t- took a picture of a paper cut on a thumb and uh, I posted it on Instagram, and I just put the hashtag, not my cut. That's all I said. Right. Didn't tag it with KOB. I mean, it was in the news like the day before that like right. this, this movie's being kind of fire sold or whatever. And immediately it went viral. Like I had all these different places going like, what does this mean? I didn't say shit. Right. They, they actually called my manager and said like, we're going to sue Joe for doing this. And, and, and Luke's like, where does it say anything about Knights of Badass on there? Nothing. So how are you going to sue him? And they're like, we'll find a way. He's like, yeah, okay, click. And, uh, and then the end, someone actually went to the screening, and right before the lights went down, someone said, not Joe's cut. I, <laughs> I had no involvement in that whatsoever, but uh, one of the investors, no, one of the distributors later on told me that that happened. I'm like, yeah. that's awesome. But in the end, you know, I've had a lot of people, like recently when I've been touring with Mayhem, come up to me, and say how much they love the movie. Now, I what the hell is, have you seen this movie? Like, well, that like, see what, that's what that's always been my response. Of course, I've seen the the, the finished film. Yeah. It ended up being like I guess eighty two or whatever. They took a little bit of my advice and said you can't release a seventy four minute film, guys. Like that just well, looks bad for Dumbo us. Dumbo did it, but Dumbo it can was be amazing. done. I mean, look at Creep. You know, the right. original Creep is like seventy six, seventy eight minutes, and it's great. This movie just couldn't. I felt it didn't. It couldn't sustain itself. So I was that guy. That anytime someone said anything, can we free a movie? I'm like, nah, well, just no, it sucks. Can we, can we free your movie? Is that what you said? I, I kind of. <laughs> yeah. I was like, look, it's not, it's not my cut. I would just, I would right. be really down on it. Oh, can't and wait for your movie. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah. right before the movie came out. Uh, no, it was actually right after. I had uh, on my own podcast, the movie Crypt. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, Don. Co- we had Don Coscarelli on. Oh God, he's awesome. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. He so was much. an inspiration for me from way back in the day. Hearing like this twenty-one-year-old kid made Phantasm, you know, back in the seventies, and then has constantly just kind of paved his own way between Bubba Hotep and John Dies he, at the End. Texted, all these movies. He texted me when we were shooting like the this. We were working on a movie called Here of the Prophecy, which is like fantasy and pro wrestling, and we were shooting like the sizzle for it. And he sent me an email about promoting John Dies at the End. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here watching my brother, the pro wrestler, like up on like a rock in a loincloth with a sword doing Beastmaster stuff. Okay. And and then I and I'm sitting here looking at an email from Don Coscarelli, looking at and I'm like, dude, it's Beastmaster. I, like, like, we are absolutely like. Well, I knew it was Beastmaster because because we I had an iPad full of Beastmaster shots that I was using with my DP to get. You know, All right. To be like, so so you don't like, so you don't like, know this story. It was so fucking beautiful. But I was like I was like. I was like, this is cool. But you, you like, grew up with Beastmaster. I, grew, I love Beastmaster. All right, ready? I want, I want Mark Singer to be in the finished product. Like, okay. I love it. So we're, we have John on the show. We have Don on yeah. the show, and it's great. Like, he's, he's, he's just been a champion of, my, of mine and Adam's for years. Like, mm-hmm. ever since we first met him, he's just been, like, the guy that always shows up at the screenings and the guy that's always, like, telling people about your movies. And we do the same, but, like, it's freaking Don Coscarelli. Holy crap. So we, we're on, and 
I remember one moment where I go like, oh my God, we got to talk about Beastmaster. 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 We're just, we're freaking out. We're totally geeking on Beastmaster. And to watch his face change. I know. Yeah. And I'm like, what, what, what's wrong? He goes, they took the cut away from me. And at that very moment, Everything, my whole perspective on Knights Bad Aston changed. Well, supposedly he was going to do Conan, the sequel to Conan. Yeah. And, and his experience on Beastmaster changed his approach to wanting to do that at I all. think it was that, that Dino De Laurentiis, dealing right. with that whole machine that sure. made him go like, you know what, I think I can kind of, I can do my own thing. But to think about how I and so many of my peers like yourself, we all obsessed over Beastmaster and the fucking ferrets and Rip Torn. Oh, yeah. It's Absolutely. like there's just John so Saxon. much there's so much in the in that movie alone that just it's a it's a fun movie. It's a great like to us it's a great movie. movie. Could you imagine a better version? Oh shit. <laughs> I, I would love that. Like yes. if anything, let's do the remake. But the 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 perception that we had on the movie based on the perception that he had on his own film was wildly divergent. And you feel that that was what went on with Knights of Badass? Oh, is that people 150%. Were like, I'm scared like, of the movie. Like, honestly, Joe, like, I didn't see the movie because of how, like, what happened and everything. And I, and I was scared of it. I'm like, this is a movie that was made for me. And I feel like I'm just going to get, like, heartbroken. That's, that's where things changed for me, where, like, I, I stopped. She's not my girlfriend anymore. I stopped <laughs> bitching about the movie. Like, dude, it was. It was one of those things where I just I had to kind of let go because and it's a very valuable lesson I think every filmmaker should know is like it's your movie until it's released. And then mm-hmm. once it's released, it's not your movie anymore because you can't control whatever baggage anyone comes into watching the movie, whether it's in a theater or on the big screen or on a tiny screen or on your phone. You can't sit there unless you have like a, no. a commentary track or whatever or even are standing next to them going like okay in this scene i i totally didn't have enough time to do this but and, and then the you know actress got sick and it started to rain it's like all these things that like it sounded like it wasn't your movie gonna, before it was released either but i no yeah. it definitely wasn't like yeah. like up until a point i i thought i had a good grasp on it based on like the, the situation at hand and the, the restrictions that we were given but in, in the end like it wasn't and i had some really hard times from that and now I don't I kind of joke about it like oh yeah that movie or whatever but I, there are so many people who genuinely love mm. that movie because they don't have any context as to what I was going for sure. none sure you know there's no commentary track of me going like nope nope that's not how it's supposed to happen time heals none of that. It, yeah. and it, people have just been watching it on face value especially since it's been on Netflix where they're just kind of casually going through going like oh man Game of Thrones isn't on like hey there's Dinklage you know <laughs> and they start watching this wacky movie that you know, it 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 has kind of uh, garnered a life of its own in a way. So I can't I can't beat the movie up on myself. I can only beat myself up on it. Sure. But you know, it's, it's one of those things that like the 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 movie has a fan base, and I've been reminded that like almost ad nauseum since March when when mayhem has been kind of taking sure. me all over the place. There's always people who come up to me like, oh my god, why isn't there Knights of Bad Aston merch? I'm like, yeah, it would be I would be nice. You well, know? you didn't do anything wrong but be a team player. No, no. You didn't like, do anything wrong, but, best, but do was, what they hired you to do, which is be a team player and deliver this movie. Exactly. So, you know, but but our visions no were completely different, and you know, I don't have any regrets to anybody but the asshole who like <laughs> screwed us. So, no, that guy sucks. Like that yeah. guy, that that guy's got like seven lawsuits against him, and he and rightfully so. But whatever. You so know, when like, you saw the script to uh, Mayhem, and you, and you saw like the, the Stephen Brand role. Was it hard for you to personify? <laughs> you know what's really funny? That is a very good question. The guy that uh, the, the guy that um, we were kind of referring to because you, also you didn't write uh, this script. Um, no, no, Matthias Matthias Caru- uh, Caruso yeah. wrote the script, and when we were casting that movie, um, there are some very uh, big similarities between the boss mm-hmm. and that guy. You know, well, like, describe the movie because because um, the geekskeepers who've been listening know that Greg McLean was on the show. Two week, uh, well, I think last week or the week before, and we were talking about the Belco experiment and Jungle and, 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 and all these movies. He's great. He's I amazing. love. I've, we've had Greg on our show too, and I've been a fan of Greg since since Wolf Creek. Greg's since incredible. I saw it at uh, at Sundance, and I was just like, "Whoa, yeah. holy cow! This is something else." 
And I've been following his work ever since. And uh, but this movie is similar in its commentary of corporate structure. Yeah, like, like it's, Belco. It's got over. It's not the same movie, guys. It's not the same movie. It's just not. You you can well, definitely. It's love it's very both. much like um like someone at the premiere at a uh, at Beyond Fest kind of brought this up, and I was like, yes, you know what? That's a really good comparison. It's kind of like if you look at um, uh, Earth. Uh, asteroid movies that sure. came out in like 96, 97 where you had Deep Impact and then you had Armageddon. Perfect. You know, it's like two very solid movies, two very, very clear visions from the directors but two different tones. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Deep Impact was going for something more to like, to, akin to a real kind of uh, disaster movie with all the, you know, all human, the tragedy human, and, the, yeah. and it was a very human grounded sort of story. Like I just remember Tay Leone on the beach at the end and just being like, Ooh. oh my God, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking. It's and amazing. Elijah Woods in that, John Favreau's uh-huh. in it as an astronaut. It's like, it's definitely worth watching. But then you have Armageddon and Armageddon is pure Bayhem. It's, it's deliberately telling you from the first five minutes of the movie that this is a roller coaster ride. And I love the story that, that Affleck tells. Oh about, my God. Like, he's like, wouldn't it be easier to just set, like train astronauts in oil drilling then send oil drillers to be astronauts and michael bay just goes shut the fuck up and that was the end of the enjoy your new teeth affleck <laughs> yeah like and and that i think is just it's all down to tone and like so so the movie uh, so mayhem is in a nutshell it's a movie about a dangerous virus named uh, the id7 virus that makes you uh, if you're infected you lose your inhibitions so if you're repressing any anger well that's gone you you Horny for you know a coworker or a friend or you know who or whoever else, yeah those um, those limitations are gone. And what happens if this kind of uh, emotional palate cleanser gets l- released in a law firm? Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, like when when they sent me the script and it just had the log line, I was like, who doesn't want to see a bunch of lawyers beating the shit out of each other? This sounds intriguing. Sure. So. Uh, but when I got the script, I was actually working a corporate job. I was in a cubicle, and they always say, like, well, when did the script land on your desk? It actually landed on my <laughs> cubicle desk, and and I read it in one sitting. And there may and, have been people in that cubicle office that you wanted to beat the shit out. Uh, no comment. Uh, well, <laughs> no, I've commented many times. Uh, no, look, you know, that job was a means to an end, sure. and I've done many corporate jobs you know, in between movies because movies just don't make the money that you can and you don't have the you know, flexibility or there's just not there, – there's no development deals and people just can't sit on their laurels anymore. Right. You know, if you're a director, in most cases, you're a working class director. You yeah. know, you're a middle class director. You're just kind of just trying to make it happen. So imagine Geekscape is how exactly. scary that six-month period was that we were talking it, about earlier. It's, yeah. it's awful, you know, and, and – I went. I got into this business thinking like I would at least have a little bit of flexibility. You just don't, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm working this job and I'm just trying to pay the bills or whatever. And but my job had the title creative in it, and yet a lot in a lot of cases I didn't feel very creative. I felt like a cog in the in the machine. Now I was a cog in the machine. That's just kind of that was my role. But it wasn't fulfilling, and the you know the passive aggression that was just being kind of thrown around a at lot the of office. People, oh yeah. God, it's just it's it, it's not a very at least to me and from my perspective, it wasn't a very healthy environment to to work in. Um, as, as hard as everyone tries to, you know, make people feel comfortable and have free bagels on Thursday and stuff, there's just something about it that's it's a weird petri dish of of passive aggression. And, you have a, your Hawaiian shirt Fridays. Uh, no, we had, had well, weirdly what? enough, the the, uh, the way that the company worked was you could kind of wear, you know, wear whatever you wanted, uh, but most people wore, were very formal. I was the jerk who wore, down. well, I was the jerk who was wearing, you know, Hawaiian shirts on Wednesdays. Sure. Like, I was just sure. like, well, I'm the director, so I can do whatever it's the hell I want. It's just creative my title. Uh, exactly. What do you, you know, I, I used that, and, um, and so I read the script, and I went, oh, man, like, in the past, I've wanted to make these movies like i wanted to make a splatter um i wanted to make a splatter homage with wrong turn 2 i wanted to make the goonies for grown-ups with knights badassed i wanted to make die hard in a room with everly but this was the first one where i went there's there's like this burning need inside of me that is screaming that i know this character i know i know what he's been through and i can bring a perspective to this that i feel can both make people relate to the character but also kind of like get some demons out myself in a way. 
And, uh, and that was the take that I brought into Circle of Confusion, who produced the movie uh, right down the street. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were totally down with it. And, uh, and they, they also saw that there was, like, there was a, a, kind of an unbridled passion that I had for this movie that I just felt like I could do something with this that I don't think anyone else could. Yeah, uh, Geekscape, is, I mean, the movie, Stephen Yeun plays uh, a character who starts at the, like, the bottom level uh, in this law office. And then once they... I mean, it's not like, oh, he's the mailroom guy and he has to fight all of his coworkers. No, by the time the, the movie really starts, the narrative uh, and the virus hits and all that, uh, he's already worked himself up to a corner office oh, because yeah. he's, I mean, the, the, I love the way, the, I mean, uh, just from the beginning, uh, I watched this after one of the nights that I was at Stanley's LA Comic Con, so oh, cool. I was like super tired, but you, you came at this movie with an energy I, I kind of haven't seen in your other stuff and it may have been that personal just push. To do it possibly and, yeah and i'm watching the way that i mean I, I love the way that you're doing the 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 montage shift oh, with the elevator, like the elevator and, stuff. and everything and i'm sitting here watching it and i'm like okay he's present and he's making this damn movie and he's going and uh basically very quickly in the opening narrative you see the story on the virus but you also see him uh more, you watch him climb yeah, the corporate ladder, climbs the corporate and, ladder then, and then and then fall right back down again yeah, because you know they they set him up for a fall, and so he's got a chip on his shoulder the second this virus hits, and he's going to make people pay. I mean, if you want to see people getting punished, and you want to see some like you know pretty visceral stuff going on on screen, definitely watch it. This is the movie for you. It's a lot of fun, and um, and I enjoy those climb to the top movies. Like, well, uh, it's, you it's, know, it's the everyman story. You know, like you want to see the everyman, the underdog. You want to see them rise up from the ashes. You want to see them. I want to kill your boss. Well, if we've done our job, <laughs> then you you hopefully will kind of get your aggressions out through the movie, and will hopefully cure your case for the Mondays so that you don't go postal on your boss. You know, at, at one point or another, that would always be nice. But you know, the, the, to bring it back also to uh, the Belco experiment, because you know, <clears throat> I knew Belco was coming. Sure. And I was already kind of developing Mayhem, and they sent me the Belco script because for like a hot minute they went like, "What about Joe Lynch?" So sure. I read that script and I went like. Wow, this is a you know it's the same, but it's like tonally it's totally different, and I loved it. And I was just as I was calling them back, going like, because for me it's like the opportunity to work with James again, because mm-hmm. we like I, I didn't even really work with him, but he was kind of going out as I was going in as a writer at Trauma. Sure. So it's like you know he he was like, see you guys, I'm going to L.A., and I'm like, hey, that guy from Tromeo, bye. You know, and, <laughs> but um, and but we be, we've become friends ever since. Uh, like since I came out here, uh, he was on Halston uh, mm-hmm. for an episode. He's he's just a great guy. Um, so the the opportunity to work with James on that level was really exciting. But like as I'm on the phone going like, yeah, so about that script, like oh, they already hired Greg McLean. I'm like, and and at first I'm like, damn, it. and then I'm like. Actually, that's a pretty good choice. I would have hired Greg McClain. <laughs> I'd like not not a bad option. Right. So then, but I knew that their tone was different than ours, you know, and and it only reinforced my idea that I go, look, I got to be realistic here. There's gonna be a there's gonna be people comparing these two movies. If I do my job right, the movie will come out. Right, and if I, you know, get it to that level, then of course someone's gonna go like, just like Belco, you know, which is fine. Because to me, I'm going like we're just kind of burgeoning a new subgenre called work exploitation, you know. Because there's oh, going to be other movies like this. There already are other movies that sure. are in the pipeline. There's Office Uprising, you know. You can say that Office Space is like maybe the godfather of work exploitation in a way. Sure. But there's enough people that are working in these jobs, you know, especially now in this kind of evil empire that we are currently living in i mean isn't the evil empire a product of this disenfranchisement exactly so so it feels like there's more than more than not there's a lot of people out there that are working these jobs frustrated with those jobs and wouldn't mind seeing something that gives them a little catharsis Mm -hmm. in a way so that's really what kind of drove me the whole way because i just felt like all right if i'm if i've gone through this and i've felt this frustrated and depressed and stressed out over this situation that I'm in, mm-hmm. there's got to be other people that feel that way. And I think that that just comes with any kind of personal story you tell. And you had a deliverance from that situation, you know, because I find myself in those situations and it's like, this is temporary. And you you knew that that job you were in was temporary, you know? I, I mean, mean, you never know. I, you never know how long it's going to go. Especially but, but, you're like like, with, but you're like, even if I'm only shooting on weekends, I am capable of more. Yeah, and, exactly. And I believe that, that there are people who do not do not have that outlet, do not have mm-hmm. that voice, and they do not say, even if I'm only shooting on weekends or in writing my scripts yeah. at night, I'm capable of more. I think there are people who are like, 
fuck this is it yeah it's i'll i'll stay in status and, quo and i'll stay like, on the fourth floor and that is that is hard it's depressing and you're watching this and you're just like oh my god like um you can see how things go south you can yeah. see how people see you can see why people are obsessed with survival and um you know it's it's a it's a dialogue that we when we uh produced doc of the dead a few years ago the documentary mm-hmm. on zombies um like just this i was really obsessed with this idea of of humanity of of us as a culture a global culture being stuck in those places on a daily basis yet having immediate uh like uh access to world ending disaster imagery which is just going on i mean the fires in california and uh you know what just happened in houston and in Puerto Rico, it's like going on and you're sitting there going, what would I do when I survive? Like, yeah. like what would I do if I'm who I am today, mm-hmm. stuck in this corner and I'm forced to survive on a like carnal, visceral, yeah. like, like no one, no and, one in the movie, like I'm, I'm sure. And that, that's kind of why we start the movie out after the little prelude. We start the movie out where we're just kind of following Steven's character into a building like everybody else. Sure. It's, you know, you're just part of the fishbowl and no one on that day I can guarantee like like everybody does deals with like natural disasters or or you know tragedies or whatever no one wakes up going like something bad's gonna happen of you course know? so having steven be kind of our guide into this world and also be our everyman was so integral like that was when i got the script the first thing that i thought was man i gotta find i gotta find my richard dreyfus mm-hmm. i gotta find my everyman and there really isn't many I mean, there's, there's no one like Richard Dreyfus, of course. He's awesome. But, you know, the, the Richard Dreyfus that I I grew up with was the one where everyone could relate to him. Even when he's playing like a, you know, a, a psychologist in, you know, What About Bob? Mm-hmm. There was still something about him because he was a family man, because he had the decent house, that he still had the troubles with his family and everything. You just felt like, oh, he's normal. But you look at, you know, Jaws and like he's a scientist, but he does not dress like a scientist. He dresses like he's a fisherman. Right. And you look at him like... He does some emotionally deplorable things in Close Encounters. He abandons his family. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, you look at that and you go like, <clears throat> I was trying to explain it to my, my older son what the story was about. And he goes, I don't want to watch that. That sounds horrible. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> but imagine if I, w- if but I chose you, aliens over you. <laughs> yeah. But like if you if you if I explain to you without knowing, you know, it was Steven in it or if it was another actor or whatever. And I explain the plot to you and, and then how this you know, lawyer who's just been um, fired from his job decides that he wants to fight, fuck, and kill his way to the top to get his boss, you go like, man, that's mean as hell, you know? And, but with Steven in it, and because he's so likable, and just he just emotes likability no matter what, I knew that I could get away with some of the kind of tonally darker things in the movie. And most times people go, eh! It's just it's just Steven. It's right. fine. I mean, the same thing with Richard Dreyfus, where you watch Close Encounters and you go like, "But it's Richard Dreyfus." Yeah, you have it's to forgive okay. him. And and that was the main thing that was a difference between like us and Belco. And personally, I think those movies are a fantastic double feature mm-hmm. um, because they kind of show two sides of the coin, you know. And and you know, I don't mind the comparisons at all. Like, and it's it's happened plenty of times. And and. If I didn't like the movie, I'd probably feel differently about it. But knowing that I really enjoy that movie and also see myself in that because I've worked that job too, and I'm like, oh man, that that is that's exactly what it's like in certain yeah. cases. But to see how they went one route, which is a much more serious and more nihilistic route, I wanted to be, I wanted to be Armageddon. I wanted to have fun. Sure. I wanted, I wanted to make this a roller coaster ride that didn't punish you enough. To where you'd be like, I need to go sit down now. No, you go, I want to get right back on there and take that ride again. You know, and, and a lot of that comes down to tone. And that was reinforced by uh, by Steven uh, and myself and, uh, and Samara Weaving, who is kind of like the other part of the two-hander in this, where she plays a uh, disgruntled client of, of the firm uh, whose house is going to get uh, foreclosed on and the firm is the one that kind of can say yay or nay for that to happen and she gets booted by steven not because he's a bad guy that's just his job you know right and it sucks but that's just that's just the way it goes down and And she's like oh go ahead no no. i was just gonna say like she is kind of like the the punk rock of of that thing like she's she's like she's like she literally has nothing to lose she's as metal as it comes and she's just like fuck this yep she does not give a shit she was in 
I don't think I've ever talked about this. So you're getting an exclusive. Sure. There was a point. So so essentially, so Steven is fired and then he decides to go up and they teams up with uh, with this disgruntled client and they kind of become buddies as they work their way from floor to floor to floor. And they bond. Uh, they bond over, you know, doing these things. They bond over their favorite bands. Like they become friends, you know. And I love that. I love the fact that they they become friends and not to give anything away, but you it, it's not like stamped that they're like, and they live happily ever after. You don't quite know. But at one point, and again, spoilers, sorry, but at one point we were kind of toying with the idea that she was in Steven's head the whole time, that she was his oh, Tyler Durden. Cool. And there was techniques and there were shots and there were little things that I had kind of a, a list of that I made. I, I called it the, the Durden list. In case you wanted to. In case yeah. we wanted to go down that route, I would have to do this, 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 and this. Now, is that really like honest a way to do it? You know what? Because films are made three times, script, production, and in the edit, this was something that I was going to be able to craft both in the production and the edit that felt organic enough if I did it. But you needed the mechanics to work. You needed people yeah. to be like, oh, wait, where the, how'd the chair get there? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you, needed you needed to look to at every scene that they were in together or they were in with someone else and make sure that, like, you know, there's a scene with the uh, uh, the Reaper, the, the HR mm-hmm. guy. If he looks at her, the, the illusion is gone. Right. Because if you look at Fight Club, like, they were very strict with that. Like, you can't l- not look back at what Fincher did with Fight Club and not see how he plugged all the holes so that you can't poke them. And especially with the whole idea that Tyler Durden really isn't there. And weirdly enough, and this was kind of floated around right... I think we started talking about it weeks before everyone kind of got there and I just kind of came to me. I'm like, what about this? Because once I cast Steven and Samara, she was such a firecracker that I'm just like, I, like, is she going to be too much? You know, her character, not not right. Samara herself, but everything that she does, is it going to be too over the top for the audience to kind of realize like, okay, this is a real flesh and blood person. So there, there was the point where I'm like, well, if she's so over the top, she's kind of like the little the imaginary on voice on, yeah. your, on your shoulder. I could get away with her being totally overblown and maybe that would work. In the end, maybe about a week into production, when when I came to the point where I was going to have to shoot certain things certain ways to reinforce that, I scrapped it. And mainly because I didn't want to cheat the audience. I didn't want to make them feel like we just kind of threw a twist in just to throw a twist in, which is, I think, like after Fight Club did that, it's like anytime anyone tries to do that since, it's kind of like, well, you mean you like Fight Club? It's like... Yeah, uh, been there, it, done that. It, yeah, it's hard to not be cute. Like, yeah. it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on or you. Or six cents, you know, not be totally cute. And yeah, it's, and it's been twenty years since both those, uh, eighteen years. Since and I still film. think like, that they, those films did it so well that yeah. it's so hard to kind of ride on the coattails of that. But I truly fell in love platonically. I truly fell in love with Stephen and Samara while I watched them work. I mean, Stephen, we had already cast. Um, months before we shot, you know, like he he was cast in like September. No, no, I'm sorry, like December, and then we we ended up starting shooting in March. Samara was cast maybe four weeks before we shot, and that was just based on the logistics of things. Like I got to Serbia, that's where we shot it, and I like we had to hit the ground running. So it was like okay, location scouts and production design meetings. Oh, by the way, you also have to do casting via Skype. It was just part of my day. It was it was crazy, um, but it was gratifying because we were like. There was no no time for chit chat. There was no time for love, Doctor Jones. We were we were moving. So when I met Samara over Skype, and I had already been a fan of hers from Ash vs Evil Dead, sure. like I was like, holy crap, who is that? And then hearing that she was the babysitter, because I read that script, like I was up for it at one point, and uh, when I read when I found out that she was the babysitter, I'm like, okay, if she was able to pull off that part. I think we can we can play together. But then it, it it took them sitting down together at dinner for me to go like here we go. Like this could yeah. be this could make or break the movie and they immediately clicked. But every day that they were on set, there was an alchemy. It's not even chemistry. It was like magic. It was I, I've very rarely seen this happen before. But to watch these two embody these parts and and get along so well, both on camera and off camera. It's like the sort of thing that you just you pray as a director that everybody gets along and everyone's got good chemistry and they they're pushing each other. It's mm-hmm. not like you say your lines, I say my lines. We go to lunch. Like they were challenging each other every day. It felt like they, like they were they had some kind of a an ad lib 
in communication in there oh, that they were like, all hey, the what time. if we try this? What if we try that? All the time. But it was it was something that I kind of professed from the beginning. I said, like, look, if, if there's a moment that you feel needs to be made more you, as long as we're getting the intentions of the lines out and you don't start veering off into, like, we should just get on a boat and go. No, yeah, no, 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 no boats. The, the plot keep, and the character beats have to be keep hit. Keep it real. Like, for example, um, you know, the scene in the bathroom when they're just talking about their three favorite bands. Right. That was I, I I don't I don't want to say that it was improv because what happened was uh, we were moving so fast and my my DP Steve Gaynor uh, was very very smart he was like we could go upstairs because we only shot on three floors so we would constantly have to redress the floors as we go to make the whole to make it feel 40s, like it's ten it's yeah. it's actually ten forty is good yeah. I like forty forty is better that'll be the sequel it'll be on fire too we can make that happen yeah. too. Uh, <laughs> We, we just thought, like, we can get more done on the next day if we don't have to pre-light. If we pre-light now, we don't have to wait that extra 40 minutes in the morning. We can just jump in and just start shooting. So you had a swing crew lighting the, lighting the next floor that you were going yeah. to go to. So what yeah. we did was we went upstairs and we had, like, you know, we wrapped for the day. And, uh, and we were like, let's just go upstairs really quick. It'll take half an hour. But let's figure out ex- exactly where the camera needs to be and so that my grip guys can put the lights exactly where sure. they are. It's four or five shots in the scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And th- thankfully, Steven and Samara were like, well, the van's not here yet to take us back to the to the hotel, so let's hang out. So we ended up all going upstairs and instead of using stand-ins, they stood in for themselves. It was a scene that you were going to shoot for the next day. In the or, original script, yeah. it says, like, uh, uh, Derek and Melanie are waiting for one of the bosses to use the elevator so they're hiding out and it just says they wait got it cut to something else then cut back to them saying like oh man it's only four hours yeah, so to go we gonna gotta be, go it was gonna be like a, it was gonna be like a one or two glue shot and at, then you turn into the, a scene at the most great at the most it was just gonna be them waiting silence but something always nagged me about that i've just felt like here's a moment that if i shoot it the way it says it in the script and this is no detriment to, to matthias at all it just it it Right there, it just felt like it was just kind of flat. It's a missed opportunity to build these. Yeah. yeah. So and and I was falling in love with them so much, and I saw the potential of their camaraderie together on screen. I just it was sitting there going like, I want to give them more. So I threw out to them, I'm like, top three bands go, top three bands go, and miraculously, and I knew them enough to know that like, okay, what they really liked and what they didn't like shockingly they started coming up with the bands that they loved but it wasn't their favorite bands it was the characters favorite that's the bands. most important part you don't want and i'm sitting there just like oh this is gold because like, now you're thinking you about well, how you're going to throw the, the music back in the references back in and so, just be like okay this is going to be a great scene we can use that music in this later scene well that like that was that was kind of planned kind of not planned like i i, I knew I make playlists for all my characters anyway, like just based on Scripts what for I characters. think. Uh, for the characters. characters. Wow. Yeah, for the characters. Okay. So I try to make like a, a Spotify or, or even just like a C- I used to make CDs, but now no one uses CDs. So sure. I would make these kind of playlists. And Derek to me seemed like a, a child uh, who grew up in the 90s who listened to a lot of like that alt rock that was on K-Rock all the time and would be fans of bands like faith no more and you know and stuff like that and then samara we, we kind of built a backstory that she had two brothers who were into metal and she just kind of fell into it and that's how she became a metalhead so when they were kind of spitting out these these bands i was like man this is so inspiring to see them bring these characters to life right here this is it this is my scene ran home wrote out pretty much everything i heard and kind of you know move things around a little bit embellished here and there and stuff because steven actually started talking about how you know, this one particular band always gets shit on. And he's like, that's not fair. You know, so I came back and handed them these three pages the next day, not even not even 12 hours later. I'm handing them three more pages of dialogue. Now, in most cases, most actors would go, no, no, yeah. not, that you're throwing me off. Like, can't do it. Both Steven and Samara had worked copiously in television. And they were used to, especially Steven, Steven was used to rewrites within the hour. You know, he was sure. used to being handed pages like that were rewritten right, like right over there by Scott Gimple. You know, mm-hmm. so he both of them were just so game. They were so ready to like jump in that I handed him those, those pages. They looked at it once and they made it their own. That's my favorite scene in the movie. Like I know that like there's there's a lot of crazy shit that happens in this movie. There's blood, there's violence, there's action, there's suspense, there's sure. yeah. all of that. But 
that scene is the scene that I fell in love both with the characters and the movie. And, and many people who've seen the movie say that was the moment where I went like, I now know the movie and I want to hang out with these people. Well, you need the breath scenes because you, you need I, the like, like, I mean, from the, from the like jump, you were going at like a pretty frenetic pace in this mm-hmm. movie. And it's like, Oh, whoosh, 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 whoosh. You got a lot of camera moves in here. You're really throwing us a lot of information really quickly. Oh, so yeah. be ready for that. Geekscape is, and then the pace doesn't relent. You need those breath moments where you it's like, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna be able to do a little bit of that um, that emotional math here and catch up and get your breath because it's like the click 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 part of the roller coaster. Yeah. Yep. Like, click 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 click. And, you're and like, then there's oh, that moment where you do the loop to loop, and then you did the, you do the second ramp where <laughs> it's just like just that one moment. It's like, and you're like, oh, I can breathe. Yeah. And again, but. It's all design and it's really important and it's and it felt natural. It pacing didn't feel wise, like some of those. pacing wise, you just need something like that because otherwise you just exhaust your audience by right. the end, and and that that's the worst thing that could happen because then it means that like fifteen minutes before the movie's over, they're like, we're done, we're, we're good. So I needed to kind of parcel things out, and I mean that scene kind of changed everything for for us, for me, for for the whole movie because it just it it grounded it, it made it feel like as ludicrous as this idea is these are still real people Mm -hmm. and they have the same likes as you they love the same bands you do they like they make the same references there's a risky business reference in there that like four people get but 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 people get it good and you know there's there's a a joke it's so weird there's a joke in the movie that always seems to bind the audience together whenever i see it with a crowd Mm -hmm. and uh it was born purely out of uh out of inspiration so to speak and a joint where uh, we were in ADR and we had to do all this all this dialogue like in the background, and in most cases it's a bunch of people going like like it's sure. just it's walla you know, but I knew that you know we're going to be mixing this in five point one and there are going to be people who are going to listen to this with like good speakers and everything. I wanted to kind of create a world around them that felt like the people were really there and it wasn't just like canned screams and canned yells and stuff. So we brought in this ADR group, and this is well after the movie's been cut. So, you know, we were kind of past the stage of it being, like, creatively cut, but it was still kind of coming around. So uh, we had this loop group come in. It was, like, 10, 15 people, and they're all super talented, all these great actors, and we're going through all these lines that, that I knew I needed, but then what's great is that you have these actors who love to do improv or love to be inspired, and I'll throw stuff out at them. So then we called lunch. We come back from lunch and this one guy came in. You can just kind of tell, like he, he he's got some ideas. He no, well, he, oh. he baked up in the car oh, during lunch. So it. he's coming in <laughs> a little high. He's going to play that guy in the office. Yeah. Well, yeah. I took full advantage of that and I was like, dude, you've seen half baked, right? He's like, oh, I seen half baked. So I'm like, <laughs> he just lived. This. You know, you know the fuck you joke. He's like, oh yeah. So then he does this joke that only people who've ever seen the Tamara Davis, uh, Dave Chappelle stoner comedy classic uh, Half-Baked would get. (laughs) And I honestly thought that only people who like I thought maybe three people would get the joke. And I also thought that because of the mix, it would just kind of get lost. Every single dude, every single screening. And we've done about. 18 or 19 festivals at this point that I've been to and many others around the world. Every single time. Every single it. time there's the moment where someone, you, you, you hear it and there's something else going on on screen. So you're supposed to focus on what's going on on screen. But in the background you hear, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. <laughs> fuck you. I'm out. And again, it was totally throwaway. It was a spur of the moment thing that I, that I foisted on on some adr guy who did it with no problem at all and ends up being one of the biggest laughs in the movie at least when we screen it it's like god damn it like that's that's the movie magic that's what we're all trying to chase it feels like your connection to this movie is uh not not to like even attempt to like disparage your other movies but it seems like this is the one that they i mean you felt the most connected with and um again we we talked earlier about like how we grew up on so many references that that uh, it's hard to not just re- like write love letters or do regurgitations of what we've seen or of our influences and stuff, and and we see it now on the biggest scales when some of the movies that we have in as, as summer blockbusters are remakes, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, shit, requels. We're, we're, it's regurgitation like sequels. We're just sitting there going, like, is our culture just going to be people eating their own stuff over That's, and over again and puking it up and yeah. eating it again? And we we kind of can't go down that route and. Because 
I mean, is it? I mean, it comes out of this, I guess, risk mitigation of like it worked before, so mm-hmm. we'll do it again. Of but course. Where's the artistic voice? And and I kind of love that uh, you're this connected to the material that that uh, that you're able to do these small references because a lot of filmmakers j- would just lose consciousness and uh, like lo- lose the confidence and be like, I'm not putting it in there because nobody's going to get it. So why am I going to waste time? I, this, I I had a real method approach to directing this movie where I there were days that I would go like, what would I do if I was infected with the virus? Yeah, fuck like, it all. Like I would seriously just like throw caution to the wind and just say, you know what? I'm not worried about what anyone's going to think about it. This because this is so personal to me, I'm going to make my actors do a risky business reference sure. because I talk like that. And there are moments like we've all done that where we've said a quote from something, you know, where it's like, I love you. I know. And you know that if you say that to a significant other, whether it's your first date or like you're later on into the relationship, you know, from that moment, you're like Star Wars fan. Hell yeah. We're getting married. Right. Like it's that language that we use that pop that pop culture language that we've grown up on. It's just our language. That's just part of the lexicon that we use to communicate. So when right. we're using that, like I, I use it a lot of times just to kind of make a funny or whatever but when you know that someone kind of got it you go like okay we're on the same wave yeah. you know we park our cars in the same garage to quote fucking t- <laughs> true romance and like like you were saying before about you know references and stuff i th- this movie more than ever is the hardest movie for me to directly say like i and i've been doing press for the movie you know and every time it comes up it's like what were your influences on the movie and i'm it's kind of really hard for me to p- pinpoint like direct references say, other than say, just say belco experiment <laughs> it was it's a belco experiment meets uh the gardens of the galaxy no, i'm no. ripping off james left and right even his hairstyle no uh, please finish but but it's it, you know the only ones that i can truly think of and they were purely from like a um like a practical stance yeah. was um wolf of wall street mm-hmm. and that was mainly because uh i was looking for a practical way to not show the outside and I yep. remember watching that movie and going like, well, in, the, in the bullpen, when you know Leo's doing his dancing and Jonah Hill's doing coke, and you're spending a lot of time in this huge room in, in Scorsese's movie. And in my head, I always thought that, that that had huge scope, and you probably saw outside the windows and stuff. Nope, all the all the blinds are closed, so they're in a soundstage. You'd never know it. I never knew it, and I'm I look for that shit when right. I watch it. Totally. So that was the that was the thing that made me go to my production designer. We need blinds over all of this. Well, why? Like, I can't look at Serbia. Like, we're not yeah. in Serbia. We're in any town USA. And, and at first I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to CG all this shit out. And I also have to, I can't shoot that way and I can't shoot that way. Easy fix, thanks to Wolf Put of Wall Street. Everywhere. Put blinds there. And then tonally with the music, um, I just kept thinking about how Kubrick used music in a very unique way in uh, Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. And really, so weird because, like, I, for Wrong Turn Two and for Everly and Nights of Badass and Chillerama and everything else, I can name twelve reference, like twelve movies that inspired each of those films. But I think that's also because, like I said earlier, those are movies that I wanted to make because I was chasing the same feelings that I got when I watched those movies. You know, the the same. Uh, I, I wanted to kind of. This is going to sound weird, but I wanted to steal the same thunder that those movies had you know yeah. like and then and that's you know it's not a it's not a disparaging thing it's not a nefarious you know approach to it it's just that like we all as artists when we see something that inspires us we go like i want to do that mm-hmm. like I, I, I want to elicit the same response like you know um i want to show my friends like hey isn't, don't you guys think this is cool this well, is cool I, right like, this i used is to awesome. do that when i was when i was in high school i would take two vcrs and put them together and i would make remixes mm-hmm. of my favorite scenes in movies but i'd remix it to different music so you haven't lived life until you've seen the ending of <laughs> mad max beyond thunderdome set to a tribe called quests scenario that's awesome it's awesome but like it, it's that reappropriation that you were talking mm-hmm. about where we're just kind of regurgitating things that we've loved in the past with mayhem because it came from a very personal place, I think that was really my main inspiration. That was my, I was able to kind of go, all right, my time at this job, that's the reference. And, you know, the feeling that I got when I was feeling like crap doing that job, that was the reference. And how did I feel when I was in the office of the boss and I got fired at this job, which never really happened, thank God. But like, I know the feeling when you're sitting there and your seat doesn't work and you know that someone's going to get fired and you, God, you hope it's not you and you do anything in your power to, to, to stay alive, so to speak. 
all of that stuff came from a real place. So that's where I feel like that's where I think this this movie kind of differentiates from my last ones. And it's definitely informed me for my new my, all my new stuff or any of my new stuff that I'm going to do is like find find the find the place where it's real for you. Don't find a, a good reference. Right. Well, um, the movie is again. It's called Mayhem. It comes out November 10th. Geekscape is. It's going to be in some select theaters. It's also going to be on VOD. So I know you guys who are loving uh, playing video games. VOD and all iTunes. That stuff, like, it, it's definitely going to be out there. It. Just just watch it legally. Don't uh, steal it. Don't please, be don't be guys, an asshole. My just, kids need to eat. We just talked about what Joe goes through and what every like filmmaker that is not making Marvel movies is going through. So please, like, do not download this movie. Or, or Steven and Samara will come to your house and find you, which, which some would probably go like, well, fine, I'll steal it right now for them to come by. But, uh, but yeah, they, they will come and they will find you and kill you. One quick thing I wanted to add, because I almost forgot it was, I have a Joe Lynch story that is Uh-oh. tied into Geekscape. No, it's, it's we uh, at Comic-Con each summer, and one summer, they, they told this on the Geekscape Games podcast, um, uh, Shane and Derek were drunk at like the Hard Rock Party, with, <laughs> with, you know, the Hard Rock Party at Comic-Con every year. And it was, I think El Rey had something to do with that party. It was one of the Dust Till Dawn things. And yeah. they came up to you and they talk about this on the podcast and they were like, so we went up to this guy and we were like, dude, we love your fucking movies. And the guy was super nice and friendly and was like, great. I'm glad you guys like my movies. Like, yeah, Desperado in high school was like really big for me. They thought you were Robert Rodriguez. I take that as high and praise. I'm sorry. I like, I, I'm listening to this story horrified just like <laughs> what the fuck well well rodriguez has gone from his cowboy hat phase to his baseball hat baseball phase. hat phase and we just happen to enjoy the same kangol black or <laughs> navy blue hats and i guess we have somewhat of a, a similar at least facial structure he's much more built than i than i am or have ever been uh to the point where we've joked about it when we've seen each other at the masses of heart masters of horror dinners sure uh that i've been so gracious to go to whenever he's in town he goes and we always make sure that we get a picture with ourselves like like together because then it starts to like screw people up a little bit but uh but hey look if i'm gonna get compared to somebody i would i would not have a problem with being compared to robert rodriguez well derek and shane you guys are off the hook uh, you can listen to the Geekscape Games podcast on Geekscape. You're saying, boys, it's okay. You guys are off the hook. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted you guys to be in trouble, but you're off the hook. Uh, Joe, it's been awesome having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me uh, again, guys. The show, the movie's called Mayhem. It comes out November 10th. We could talk a whole lot more because there's so much more that you can. Have. You're just gonna have to come back for that. I'm just gonna have to make another movie show. for me to come back. It's Let's not a problem. It. Give me that excuse. <laughs> I will do it. Geekscape, we love you. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. Just search for Geekscape. I uh, would love to have you guys be part of the discussion and come on and tell us what you think of this episode and tell your friends and all that. Uh, we're here every single week. And uh, Joe, we can find you on Twitter, social media, all that stuff. At the Joe Lynch on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow uh, the, uh, at the movie uh, at Movie Crypt, which is uh, our podcast, uh, which just so happens to have Steven on this week. His only interview that That's he's done. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, boy, did he get deep. Shit got deep. We didn't even talk about our mutual friend, Sean Becker. Oh, Sean's the sweetest guy. I want to. I, I just talked to him. God damn I, it! Tell him I want to rescue him from Geek and Sundry. Not that I don't love Geek and Sundry, but I want him to be making movies. I love him so I know, much. I know. Um, not that he needs rescue. He loves it there, but it's like fuck. I'll take his job. I want his brain. Like I want his brain to be on screen. More Sean Becker for you guys to, to all enjoy. Well, if you want, he did uh, the Guild, so he directed the Guild for those of you. He's who, in. Uh, you know, Adam Green has a Halloween short that yeah. he does every year. Uh, Becker's in that. He actually he he's part of that as well i don't want to give too much away but you got to take a look at it geeks gave us look for that one um and look for us next week uh and of course on the 10th of november look for mayhem in theaters on vod we love you guys we will see you next week peace